Now, the question is, what are our thoughts about this Asbury University revival? Now, how many have heard of this? Asbury University revivals. All right, so quite a few. Now, of course, the person who submitted would have. Now, then, um, now, so the question is, do you think it's led by the Holy Spirit? If not, what would be the possible explanation for this event to happen? Now, what is this Asbury University revival? Okay, now, basically, now, basically, let me read to you their, um, their, the situation there. Now, in this particular university um, that's called Asbury University, now, they frequently experience, all right, um, revivals, all right? So where people um, say that they, they are revived spiritually. So it's like, you know, the, the history in Christianity where there are periods of revival. But in this university, they experience it successively. So those of you who may be aware, we're here in 1905, 1905, um, 1908, 1921, 1950, 1958, 1970, 1992, 2006, and, and so on. I think, is it recently also, 2023? Um, praying and listening to testimonies, and people will come from other places to be part of this revival, all right? So um, then they, will just, they can just go on for um, hundred over hours in, in, the, in the worship hall, worshiping and all that. So they say there is this revival. So there is this thing going on. Now, Thomas, you heard of it. What have you heard about it? On and on, and it's a very long period, and then it happens repeatedly. All right, so that is what it is. So someone asked, now, what is this about? What, what are our thoughts about it? Well, maybe I ask the young ones. Make sure you're following. Um, Gracia, do you understand what I've said so far? Yes, in the university, then every once in a while, they have this major revival that goes on. So you imagine you go to school, right? And then classes get cancelled. And then you go to the chapel hall. Then it's just everyone praying and sharing testimonies. And it can go on for hundreds of hours. That's what's happening, all right? That's what's happening today as well. So young ones, I hope you understand. And, and parents as well. Now, what do, you th- what do you think it is all about? Now, before I can answer that question, this whole thing about what do we think about this, you know, once in a while, this major revival, once in a while, major revival. How come our church don't have that? Right? How come your Christian school don't have that? You want that? Classes get cancelled. Now, so what is this about? Now, before we go there, I think it's important first to understand, all right, what Asbury University stands for, um, what the founder believes in. And listen, I hope you understand why I need to build it up this way. Only when you understand what the university, now this university is basically um, a a Christian university, all right? Um, And the founder what was his concept of some of the things that happened in Christianity? What are his own experiences? Now, that will explain why Asbury University frequently claimed to have these revivals. Okay? So we must understand the beliefs of the founder first, what the university therefore believes in, and therefore be, then we can explain why this thing is happening. Okay? Understand? Right? Understand? Cornelius, Caleb, everyone's there. 
<laughs> right? it's a, you don't think this is an adult thing, all right? So at a young age, you better understand because some of your friends, maybe they are very excited about this. They may ask you. Now, first and foremost, Asbury University. Now, this is from their website, okay, from their website. Now, they believe in, well, I'll, I'll read to you. Now, Asbury University with its roots in American Methodist and Holiness tradition. So I'm not making all this up. I just take it directly from their website. This is what they claim. They have their roots. They're founded on this American Methodist and Holiness tradition. What is this holiness movement? Right? And it has followed Wesley's teaching. Now, John Wesley is the founder of the Methodist movement. Now, it, it said our university has followed Wesley's teachings on entire sanctification. Believers may... Now, what is, and what is entire sanctification? So this university, and this is current, right? You can go to the web, their website and read this. They believe in what John Wesley teaches about entire sanctification. So this is the grounding belief of the university. Now, what is entire sanctification? Now, it's explained here. Believers may, not only may, but should seek a subsequent work of God where through grace imparted by the Spirit, they are made full of the love of God. So, they believe that John Wesley's teaching of, now, entire sanctification means you're totally sanctified. Entirely, all right? And it means that believers can, can, can attain complete entire sanctification. And not only that believers can attain it, you must seek it. I think you kind of get the idea why every year, every few years they have. So they're always seeking it, all right? Because the university believes that, that, that Christians should be seeking this entire sanctification. Now, some of you may actually have already heard the, one of the issues of uh, John Wesley's teaching. Now, he, he is, his, his teaching of entire sanctification, right? total sanctification, um, is akin to um, um, sinless perfection in that sense. Okay? That, so the belief is you can love God perfectly, purely, and you must seek it, and it's attainable. Now, I'll show you the next thing, all right? So, now, what do they mean by entire sanctification? Hmm. Now, unlike reformers, that's us, reformers. Now, unlike reformers, reformers teach sanctification only occurs at death, all right? So, we know, we believe um, absolute perfection means sinless perfection only occurs at death. Means after you die, Freed from this body, which, which the Bible says um, is, is still um, having its sin nature in, in it, but it will fight with your um, new nature. So, this, this, um, this body of death. Now, they, we believe as reformers, we are not freed from that. Only when we die, then we are freed from that and we achieve total sanctification. We're sinless, all right? Our spirit will be sinless. And that's why we go to heaven. Now, but Wesley argued that he could see no reason why it could not occur. Sinless perfection could not occur 20, 10, 20, or even 30 years before death. So he said, no, I don't see why we cannot be this sinless perfection in us even before we die. Now, certainly, he said, there is no biblical evidence 
that would lead one to think otherwise. See, there's no biblical basis to say we cannot. So reformers are wrong. You can become sinlessly perfect in this life. Now then he say, then, then Wesley himself, now these are written by Asbury University, so they say, now Wesley himself um, never claimed to be entirely sanctified. He, he claimed that uh, it was a fair sign that, that one was not so. Now, but Wesley recorded the experience of others whom he had no doubt were delivered from all sin and filled entirely with the pure love of God. All right? And he wrote some of this in his writing A Plain Account of Christian Perfection. So Wesley himself believes that, there is, that a Christian can be delivered from all sin in this life. All right? and be entirely filled with the pure love of God means you can love God with sinless perfection. Okay? So, the university subscribes to this belief. Now, you say, what is important about that? Because they believe that there is this possibility and Christians must seek it. Remember, this is the university website. Believers may and should seek this subsequent work to reach this sanctification, pure, entire sanctification. Now, now this is written by um, the Asbury University. So, now, this is also taken from their website. Okay, so, in pursuit of holiness, some thoughts for the Asbury community near and far. So, this is what they write to the community. This is what they tell the students they should believe in. Okay? Now, I say again, uh, if you understand why they believe this, based on that, then you begin to understand why these things occur in the university. Now, I need to move to this. Because it's copyrighted, so I make sure that I just show you the website. I don't cut and paste anything. I go direct to the website. Now, I pull this out directly from... So, I'm showing you the website, okay? I'm, I'm in the website. You see the website up there? I'm in the website. And this is the article. Now, what do they propound and what do they believe? So, this is current, all right? I'm not talking about history. This is currently on their website. This is what they believe. I'm sorry there is a logo there. This is their website because they chop and then I think they scan the book in. Now, I want you to notice at this part, all right? Um, here. Now, at the bottom, you see the second last line? Now, a similar way was the experience of Henry Clay Morrison, the, f the founder of Asbury Theological Seminary. Now, this founder of Asbury Theological Seminary now, he has a belief similar to Wesley. What is this belief? The belief is this. Only through repeated crisis moments did he come to experience the life of perfect love. Only through, I want you to note this word, and this, sometimes you will hear Christians use this word. Only through repeated crisis moments. Now, what are crisis moments? Crisis moments, and sometimes you read autobiography, all right? Uh, so, there uh, we go. You love to read autobiography, all right? Sometimes you may see this word, all right? So, they say, uh, they have this crisis moment. So, it, it can be like, like, for example, one say, you know, I was walking down the street of, of, um, of uh, New York, and then he felt the presence of the Holy Spirit so strong upon him, and he could not help, but he just knew in the middle of the street, and he wept and he cried, and and he said the Holy Spirit was so, his presence was so strong, he had to tell God, God, please, please don't give me any more of the Holy Spirit. Uh, this kind of experience. So it's a crisis. Why do they call it a crisis? Because it's something that when, when it comes upon you, when you experience it, it's called a crisis because something changes after that. All right? 
when you experience that crisis moment, then now you become closer to sinless perfection. Now, so this, the founder of, the, of Asbury Theological Seminary say, now only through repeated, now it's not once, you must repeat a few times, experience a few times, then you get closer and closer, and eventually you can be sinlessly perfect in love of God. Okay, okay? you're getting the clue already, right? Why? Why it is 1905, 1908, 1921, 1950. Because they seek, they believe that they must seek crisis moment. There must be this kind of events before they can become more and more um, and eventually sinlessly perfect. So he say, he himself said that he went through a few more crisis moments before he experienced the life of perfect love. Means he claims that he can love God with perfect love. Okay? Now, both Fletcher and Morrison described their experiences uh, of perfect love in dynamic, not static terms. Now, some other things. Now, he... Let me see. The next thing I want to show you is on page four. Page four, second paragraph. Page four, first paragraph. Page four, second paragraph. Now, he said, logically, there are two definitive works. Psychologically, there may be many works of grace in the life of the believers. But he says, to be made perfect in, this, perfect in love in this life, as John Wesley puts it, put in his charge to all Methodist preachers, involves both crisis and process. What is the university um, teaching? They say, to be made perfect in love, to reach this sinless perfection state where you can love God perfectly. All right? Now, they say, to reach that stage... He said, even John Wesley himself, he put it in his charge to all Methodist preachers. Now, he's saying this, that John Wesley preaches and teaches and charges. All right, charge means he commands and put a charge um, on, on preachers that he, 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 teach, he teaches and sends out that they are charged, that they must pursue this. All right, it's a charge on them. Um, a charge to res, uh, pursue this. Now, he say, but... It, but it involves both crisis and process. So they're saying this. It is not just a, a, a progressive um, growth, all right? progressive sanctification, progressive, but it involves crisis moments also. There must be crisis moments to take you to the next stage. Okay? So, um, okay. So one may wish to refer to this gradual process as a progressive sanctification. He said, yeah, you can call this progressive sanctification, but they want to clarify that however, if one refers to entire sanctification as a progress, a progress or process, this is not to be defined in a reform sense. So they say, it's not what we as reformers say, progressive sanctification. Whenever we teach, we say progressive sanctification, meaning to say, as we live this life on earth, as we obey the word of the Lord, as we um, pray and follow Him closely, um, serve Him, fear Him, we progressively become more and more like Christ, all right? Holier and holy, progressive. But they say, when we say progressive sanctification, it's not what you're saying. Because he says, for the reformers, it is, it is approx merely approximating the ideal. You know what it means? For reformers, we believe that is the uh, ideal, sinless perfection, perfect love for God. That is the ideal. But we believe at best we can get approximately close to that. You can never reach that in this life you can only reach that after death, but you're freed from this body of death, as Paul talks about it in Romans. 
Alright, so he said, no, no. When we talk about progressive, we are not talking about that. Okay, so please know that it dif it's different. Okay. Um, now, then I want you to notice another thing before I show you the video. Okay, so you're happy? This video? Young ones? They are oh, talking, talking, talking. Alright, now, the next one is um, page four above the logo. Now, now, they acknowledge that John Wesley did use the phrase a second blessing and second rest. Second blessing. Now, where is this term commonly heard? You must seek a second blessing. Uh, Jemima. No. Natasha. What movements? Say again. No, you don't know. Really. Uh... John Lowe? Jonathan Lowe? The charismatic movement. All right, so in BBK, we'll study that soon. The charismatic movement, they believe that even after you're saved, you must seek the second blessing, the second baptism with the Holy Spirit. Speaking in tongues is one of the examples. There must be the second blessing. When you receive that, then you become holier. Now you, you have reached a holier state. All right, so now this idea already stemmed from this, this concept that John Wesley started um, um, some time back, right? So now, so I want you to notice that there is second blessing to be sought. I come again. Why do you think there is this? Some years, they just keep happening. Now, finally, I want you to be clear about the teaching. Regardless of whether I come to perfect love for God gradually or instantaneously, so one of the crisis one uh, can be instantaneous one. Uh, that's the ones that are going to change you permanently. Okay? Um, the, point is, the point is this. I expect to be made perfect in love in this life. All right? This is the belief. So the belief, in short, is this. I hope the young ones also follow. Huh? Because you must follow this. Sinless perfection especially in perfect love to God, is possible in this life here. And it is possible means either through progressive or certain crisis ones, especially the crisis one, can actually instantaneously make you reach this sinless perfection. And Christians, like I showed you from the beginning, are told this. Believers may and should seek this subsequent work of God to make, so that you can be made full of the love of God. Full of the love of God means they say you can love now, love God fully, purely, perfectly. Alright? Now, so, you, you say, so, now, having known that, what is this um, Asbury um, University revival like? And now, what, what is the what are the problems and dangers? Right? What are the problems and dangers? Well, to, for a start, all right? For a start. Now, we know that there is no sinless perfection on earth. All right? Paul talked about his struggle. Paul talked about um, how he wished to be freed from this body as long as we are in the body. All right? We have this struggle against sin. Alright, now please turn with me to Romans, the book of Romans. 
right? Paul himself, the great apostle, now Romans um, chapter 7, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 7. Now verse, verse 15, now Paul said, while he is in, the, in this body, for that which I do, I allow not. What I do, I actually don't want to do it. For what I would, what I want to do, that I do not. I, yet I don't do that. Right? But what I hate, that I do. If then, now let's go on further, right? Now he says, now, now then there is no, verse 17, now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. See, Paul agreed. He is saved. And Paul says, sin continues to dwell in men as long as you are what? In this flesh. Now, look at verse 18. For I know that in me that is in my flesh. So it's not as long as I'm living in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For the will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. So Paul, the word of God makes it clear. As long as we are in this flesh, yes, the Christian have a will, a desire to, to obey God perfectly. But it's present. But we will continue to struggle. Verse 19, he explains for the good that I would I do not, but the evil which I would, um, that I do. And he goes on and goes on. Now then he says, verse 22, For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members. You see, his body warring against the law of my mind, bringing me into captivity in the law of sin, which is in my members. So he said, as long as in this body, then he said, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? He said, this body is a body of death, and this warring always goes on. All right, until he's freed. But he thanks God that through the Holy Spirit, he can continue not to um, sin and be fallen and be gone. All right? The Holy Spirit will continue to help him in this struggle in this life against this flesh. Okay? So the Bible is clear. Now, with that wrong thinking that sinless perfection is possible and the Christian must pursue this sinless perfection and must look for crisis moments, I believe this will manufacture, this will manufacture um, so-called man-made revivals, manufactured, all right? In fact, you will see afterwards how it happens. Um, now, before I forget, I hope that we remember, as long as we as Christians seek what God did not promise, we will by and large inevitably find what is wrong. What Satan intends. When it's not something that God intends, sinless perfection, it's not what God has said is possible. But we seek that, we will eventually find what Satan will create for us to be deceived in. Alright? Now, let's come to the video. Let's come to the video. And this video is made by them. It's on their website. I must not click the wrong thing. Alright, again, you have to bear with, with, the, with the format. Alright? Now, um, now, let me play this to you. Have you ever thought that you knew something, only to find out that you didn't really know it in the deepest extent, and what you've experienced so far is just the tip of the iceberg? Sometimes we're going, going, going through life, not expecting anything out of the ordinary, pretty content with where we're at. When something happens that gets our attention and causes us to rethink our assumptions, conclusions, or even our sincerity of belief. All right, so now it begins by, by 
so this video is made by them to tell people about the revivals. Now, it begins by saying, now, you go on your normal life, and then you think that all this is normal, then something happens and makes you question all right, what you always understood or believed. Some crisis things happen. Now, first, at this part, I want to say, I want to show you the hallmarks, all right? The typical characteristics of what sparked, for example, the Pentecostal, the charismatic movement that made it what it is today. This has the, the very similar, if not identical, hallmarks of what led Christianity into the charismatic movement, how it was formed, and what, how it continued to today. Now, the first one, as we all know, the charismatic movement is an experience-based movement. All right, it's mainly based on experience and testimonies. The Word of God is usually very low in priority. All right, experience is more important than the Word. Now, experience-based. Let me show you 9, 10, all right? According to Henry C. James, former director of publicity at Asbury Theological Seminary. Campus at Wilmore, which touched me about as much as anything that's occurred in 34 years of news reporting. I know normally that when you're... All right, so now I say news are reporting everywhere, all right, in the U.S. Then 9.30, all right? Maybe somewhere. Michigan attended a testimony service on the campus of Asbury College in Wilmore. For months following the revival, hundreds of students eagerly visited various places out of the desire for more people to come to know Jesus like they were coming to know him. Dr. Kinlaw said it was almost like the more humble and nondescript the student was, the bigger the move of the Holy Spirit was in the college or the church that they went to. Isn't that interesting? It wasn't the really articulate students or people, that were, or you know, some, a couple of students would go out and say, this, something's happening at Asbury College and tell their simple story. And suddenly the Holy Spirit would move and everyone would move and want to come and get right with God. Typically, they will say, in fact, it's quite consistent. How the revivals in the various years start is always just someone giving a testimony. All right, sharing a testimony, and then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit comes into the university and fall on people. All right, so it's not word-based because someone shares, someone shares, and the more humble the person, the more powerful. Now, so um, experience-based. Now, maybe I show you ten sixteen. When we go to another place, we just ask God to be there, um, and He was. He just He miraculously made it spread. It wasn't anything that any person did. It wasn't good preaching or good singing. These two guys from Asbury walked in. Now, notice you said, these revivals did not start from good preaching. All right? It's typically testimony. Someone prayed. Not about teaching. It's not word-based, all right? And we know when things are not word-based, it's very dangerous. Right? That's the charismatic movement. That's how we started. They experienced something, then they said the Holy Spirit came into the church, then they spoke in tongues, and that's it. Not word-based. Now, then, um, then 16 to 11 minutes, I'll just let you hear some. And he was. He just, he miraculously made it spread. It wasn't anything that any person did. It wasn't good preaching or good singing. These two guys from Asbury walked in and said, can we share? And what they shared was was it wasn't like a great sermon. It was just sort of a testimony. But it's, it's like the Lord took that and ignited a fire that burned deeply and changed the lives of people at a time when I don't think all of us were going, hey, we need this. But all of a sudden, with the presence of God, 
we realized the need and it went much deeper. It also drew people from the local community of Wilmore, Kentucky, and even other states who wanted to come be there for themselves. Some chose to attend college at Asbury after hearing about the revival. All right, now, also same hallmarks at the charismatic movement, the holy laughter movement happened in a certain part of the U.S. and people were flocked there. Now, someone who went there actually kind of made a comment, um, Asbury University is kind of the Holy Spirit hotspot. You know what's hotspot? Wi-Fi hotspot. You travel there and say, oh, no, no, no connection. They say, can you turn on your hotspot? So people are now even thinking of Asbury University as a Holy Spirit hotspot. It's a dangerous concept. Now, already served. now, before I go further, I'm not saying that in there there may not be people who genuinely were revived in their heart and they want to draw close to the Lord, but always remember this, all right? We must always make sure that um, what we do, what we believe, what we teach um, is first and foremost biblical and sound. Experience results are not the test of safety. Always remember that. In Vietnam, it had been... Oh. Let me move to the next one now. So feelings-based is the next one. Very emotional, very feelings-based. 1419, all right? So I think for this kind of movement to rise up at a time when even at Asbury, people were questioning the Christian faith, they were questioning their own roots, and to be at Asbury and suddenly to say, wow, God showed up. You know, We may not have what those other colleges and those hip universities have, but guess what we have? We have Jesus personally at our college. See, that is the mentality now, right? While we may not be, be big and famous like other Christian universities, but we have Jesus personally here. Now, this is a very dangerous concept. Can you imagine one day I, I tell you, BBCW is very small, but we have Jesus' personal presence here every Sunday, right? Well, we, as long as a church, as long as any university, as long as any Christian obey the Lord, any church obey the Lord, the presence of the Lord is promised, all right? It's not some special revival that always occurs there. Then it's kind of a hotspot that God pretty much only goes there. Very dangerous concept. We should never... Um, so students, don't get excited about that. You know, every Sunday, my friend tell me that Jesus is at their church, right? Um, our church don't have healing, don't have uh, um, people falling down. So I think I want to go there to experience. The Holy Spirit moves as long as anyone is obedient, okay? So it's not um, exclusive. In the university, and, and it's spilling over all over the United States. During the revival, um, the presence of the Holy Spirit was so real that I began to know that God loved me if I never played another note on the piano and if I never made another good grade, that I didn't have to be anybody other than who I am. Uh, he just loved me because he made me. He met us at the stage where we were in life. For some, it was a new beginning. For some, it was, but he can't act unless you respond. That All right, so it's a lot of, well, the Holy Spirit comes, he just comes, and then you must respond to it. What does it mean to respond to it? All right, so it's... Is creating a lot of emotionalism, waiting for the experience, and when that is there, everybody flocks there. Um, now, what if I tell you, you, you want to experience Christ? You come to church to pray. When you pray at home or pray somewhere else, you won't experience the presence of God. You know, it's all these kind of things that creates um, the error. That's not how God works. Now, the next one is change lives. Is the basis, change lives. Now, we already covered this in BBK. Is change life. 
the test of truth, Wei Chen? No. Why not? Howard. <laughs> All right, Howard, help him. Is change life the test that this is true? Yes and no. Why is yes and when is no? When is no? Right. So change life is, well, change, the proof of change life is you obey God's word, correct? And you obey the truth. But when you are trying to pursue something that is contrary to God's word, there's no such thing as sinless perfection. Now, no matter what change is there, you, you cannot say this is a fruit because the fruit of the Spirit is always the obedience to the truth. All right? So, it's not just change life. But if we simply say change life, my, these people, they, they drew close to God, they pray, and then they want to love God more and all. But the test is always, is it in obedience to truth? Truth, truth. It's always the test. Okay? Now, um, I'll just show you, for example, 1615. Something that was going deeper into the core of who I was as a person, and the presence of God had taken me there, and it was revealing unopened areas of my life that needed to have a cleansing and a filling that I didn't even know I needed until I was in the presence of God. And His manifest presence was so thick, I couldn't, I couldn't run from it. So what changed for people, and why did it matter? What was the result of hundreds, even thousands of people experiencing? All right, so before I come to this, so it's always the experience of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit speak to them. The Holy Spirit change them. Now, we are not saying the Holy Spirit is not involved, but you will rarely hear about sound preaching, the Word worked in them, and the Holy Spirit worked through the Word. It's often just, I experience, my thought change, and that's it. Now, I'm not saying that um, all of them are, are deceived, but it's dangerous. That's what I'm saying, right? To keep thinking about, I just need to experience that crisis. It's not about me learning the Word, knowing the Word, obeying the Word, but I need that crisis. But when that mysterious crisis moment happens, I am changed. Experience-based. Now, 1731, for example. It's my responsibility now to go out and, and live for Him and try to help others feel the Spirit through me. What is this very common statement? People need to feel God and feel the Spirit through me. Anyone into these kind of things? Zen, you know? Zen is basically channeling. You heard about this? No. All right. They all look lost. Now, there is this concept in the meditation world, spirit channeling, all right? And all these are very um, um, mystic mysticism-oriented kind of beliefs, all right? So he said, the people must feel the Holy Spirit through me. It's not about know God through the Word, but they feel the Holy Spirit through me when I manifest the Holy Spirit. Now, so for example... Um, Okay, I need to finish soon. Huh? Then we have 2010. He comes to clarify who he is. And that, um, that is very confusing, at least at first. Something unusual uh, was happening. 2010. Now, notice the kind of thinking. He comes. It's, well, Jesus or those who comes. It's not about, I study from the word, I see from, he comes. And then he suddenly clarifies things in my mind. 
and then I'm confused. It sounds all very confusing. I don't think the, the, well, the Bible makes it very clear. God is not a God of confusion. He doesn't work confusion, right? But because it's not word-based, feelings, crisis-based, it's mainly I feel, and I think this is what God's saying to me. That, um, that is very confusing, at least at first, because the things that we think we know are getting bumped around. The things we think we're moving toward seem to be less in focus and less important. And when he comes, we are changed by that. And some of the things that we would have thought important are now no longer at all. So, I think probably the big surprise... Now, um, is it wrong to be changed? No. But when we constantly focus on being changed by an experience, now even if the change is a correct change, means I used to love the world, all right? I used to lo love to watch movies, for example. Then, well, Jesus came, and then the, the Holy Spirit came, and then after that, I, I don't love to watch movies anymore. Is it a good change? Yes, it's a good change. It's a changed life. It's a changed life. But the question is this. Maybe I ask you, if you always keep depending on experience to change you, What's the danger of that, Mabel? Struggle you sin, you think you're not safe. Not really that, Alex. Your experience changes, number one. But when you depend on experiences to change you, and you look for those experiences, then very soon, it's not God's word anymore. Now, how do you know even that? Now, Satan is not worried about you changing to be better. What he wants is to make sure that over time, your change is based on experience and not God's word. So over time, when you begin to change to something, you will eventually say, but that is my experience. From my experience, experience is more important than God's word. And that's exactly, I've explained to you many times, my ex-colleague. He was against tongue speaking. He understood the doctrines. All right? But over time, he began to depend more and more on experience on the Holy Spirit speaking to him when he's sleeping, the Holy Spirit appearing in his, in his home, he began to now seek that kind of experience. His initial change of experiences were good experiences. But, or no, not good experiences, were good changes. But the problem is experience-based. Then eventually when he began to speak in tongues out of the blue when he was driving on the highway, he came to the conclusion that tongues is true. But I say, but what, what about everything that you've, you've believed from the Bible? No, experience. Then how you, how you explain my experience? So it will begin to change the Christian to depend and seek after experience rather than just simply obey the truth. Understand that it will change you. That's the danger about this whole um, seeking this experience in order to reach this um, sinless perfection. Now, the last one. It's another hallmark, I'm a bit late already, another hallmark of the charismatic movement, which is the social gospel. All right? You see, you start with the wrong thing, this is what happened. Social gospel. It's mainly about making the world a better place. Not that it is wrong, but that is not the charter of Christianity. Charter of Christianity is to tell men of sin, the truth, turn to God. It's not to make men's life, well, alcoholism, uh, 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 murders and all that, not to reduce those numbers. Right? God said the world will get worse and worse. Now, let me show you 
So they ask, what, so what is the point of Asbury revival? What is the point? 1639. So what changed for people, and why did it matter? What was the result of hundreds, even thousands? What changed people? Why does it matter? Thousands of people experiencing the love of God and committing their lives to Him. Once you graduate Asbury, it's a diaspora. You know, people flee to all corners of the earth and certainly to North America. And the... All right, then I tell you, for example, one of the graduate, 1733. There are commitments that make me aware of God in life now, even today. It's my responsibility now to go out and, and live for Him and try to help others feel the Spirit through me. God can bring to people through us what we got to experience here by taking care of people that need to be cared for. Like the Bible says, the poor, the oppressed, the orphans, the widows. The influence of the revival continues to this right, day. So it has inspired the, mission hospitals. The focus after that is to service. go and look for the poor, the oppressed, oppressed, all right? Now, are we supposed to be um, uh, concerned about this? Yes, but that is not the charter. The charter is to tell them about sin and the Savior, all right? Not to improve their lives. Then finally this, 1903 or we'll never solve problems in our lives or our nation or the world. Isn't that where we are today? When you look at the world today? Do we really think we can solve world problems like world terrorism or world hunger or human trafficking or whatever? Have people really changed? Or will they change other than the help of God and the resurrection power of Jesus Christ? Now, is it wrong to say Christ is the answer to the world's problem. It is true. Definitely true. Only when people believe in Christ, then they will stop being terrorists, then they will stop um, um, causing um, wars and all that. It is true. But the problem is this. Is it revival, ch revival's charter to be concerned about terrorism, world hunger, and all those? That is not. That is not, all right? So it will inevitably lead to this. And if you look at major charismatic movement, major big, uh, big um, charismatic churches, their focus is always to go into these places, set up this, set up that, to help the poor and all that. Now, good works are not evil, but that is not the charter of, so charter of Christianity. All right, so this is what will happen. Now, so the question is, um, if not, then why, it, do you think this is led by the Holy Spirit? Now, we cannot believe that it is from the Holy Spirit because the constant teaching in the university is sinless perfection. Number one, the Holy Spirit will correct that. All right? Now, I'm not saying there is no truth in this movement. They don't teach any truth at all. The second one, now, if not, then what, what would it be possible? What is the possible explanation for the event to happen? They already said the Christian must seek crisis, must seek sinless perfection. It is supposed to be what you seek. When you are conditioned like that, you will create that environment, right? Number one. Number two, now what else? The Lord already said, don't be deceived. Satan himself can appear as an angel of light. It's the same problem in the charismatic movement, right? Is it truly the Holy Spirit? It cannot be. Or it's a deception. It's a um, false gospel that Paul constantly warned of. In his time, they have false gospel. Today, the same. Now, is this a charismatic movement? It is not. 
but he has the hallmark, he has the issues, it is dangerous, therefore. All right? So I hope this study helps you um, at least to be aware. Um, when you hear about this, you know what it is about. Um, the dangers, well, pray for them that they do not fall into further errors. Those who are genuinely revived, that they would see the truth and be cautious of, of the concept that I can be sinlessly perfect, but I must seek, and I seek that crisis moment, number one. Number two, not to be a Christian that, be, that begin to think, well, I need to be there, I need to be there, I need to be here, I need to be here in order to experience this. The, the Holy Spirit power, God's closeness, God's presence is available to every Christian, not only at this kind of situations. If not, you will just keep seeking experiences. Very dangerous. All right, we don't have time for questions, but I hope I've covered that um, in sufficient detail. So let's turn to God in prayer.